love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're ready to take care of business here today. This is Dan Miller. You know, I never get tired of hearing that old Bachman Turner Overdrive song. I guess it's because it's become so synonymous with me doing the podcast, which I absolutely love doing. Every week, I scan through questions that you all listeners have submitted, and we go through the most interesting ones to try to give us all a little more perspective on how to do this thing we call work you love. And yes, there are lots of opportunities for that. Well, we're already through half of this year. Can't believe how rapidly it's going past, but here we are in July, so we're obviously into the last half of the year. Now, this is a time when we ought to all be getting real clear on what we are going to be doing in 2012, next year. Now, that's not too long a time to be planning. I was working with a wonderful lady this morning, and we were doing just that, saying, you know what, we've got six months, a little less than six months now, to create a transition plan from her high-profile position into doing what she really wants to do. And I assured her that six months is adequate time to do that, to start from nothing and to have her new venture up and running to duplicate her very significant income in that period of time. And y'all really believe that's possible. Now, that varies from idea to idea. But I can't think of many ideas where that wouldn't be possible, at least in six months, usually faster than that. But now, here, here's what happens. I'm going to just jump into something here that keeps coming up. If you have a job and you don't like your job, the easiest thing to do is to go get another job. Yes, even in this economy, blah, 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 so on and so forth, recession, whatever you think is going on, it's still, that's the easiest thing to do. Just polish your resume and go get another job. In doing that, hopefully you're going to transition to another pretty steady, predictable income stream where you're going to get a paycheck every Friday or every other Friday, whatever it happens to be. What are the chances, though, in doing that, that you're going to double your income or triple your income or take your income to five times what it is now. Not very common that that's going to happen. Is it possible? Sure. Not very common that that's going to happen. What are you going to do if you really want to triple, quadruple, or quintuple your current income? What if you're making 50000 now and you really want to make 200000 Is your best option to just go find another job? Probably not. Now, if you find something in sales where it's just open-ended, yeah, you can probably do that. But the best chance of doing that is to start your own venture. The quickest way for you to jump into the driver's seat, remove the ceiling of any income limits, is to start your own venture. Now, in doing that, you may start with zero. Therein lies the challenge, and that's why most people will never do anything like that, because they don't want to go to zero. They'd rather stay at 50 or move to a job where they make 55 rather than going to something where they make zero. Now, the really cool thing is, and I'm going to get off this horse and move on here. The really cool thing is it's not an either or choice. Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about we need to make and choices 
rather than either or. So how could you keep your current job and start a new venture where you'd make more money than you're making now? Well, a lot of the things we're talking about, if you want to do something on eBay or you want to have a little uh, weekend business or you want to start a landscaping company or you want to start coaching or counseling people, I mean, we can go on and on. Those are all things that you can do without jeopardizing what you're doing currently. So you really can get a solid foundation, start creating real income, and only if you duplicate your current income, if you put that up as one of the parameters for making a change, only when you duplicate your current income, would you then give notice and leave what you have now? So that makes what we call a very soft transition. That's not risking much or jeopardizing much if you in fact do that. And with most ideas, I mean, I think 90% of the good ideas out there, you can do exactly that. Well, let me let me get off that horse and uh, give you a sense of what else we're going to be covering in this particular edition of the 48 Days Podcast. If you're a new listener, incidentally, we welcome you in. Every week I hear from lots of people who are first-time listeners. We welcome you. If you are coming over from 48days.net, we welcome you from that growing community there with people who are, in fact, creating the work that they love. A lot of sharing going on over there. People uh, giving advice and opinions about how others can grow their businesses quickly. Make sure you check my weekly notes over there. Get involved in that community. Here are some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Dan, how do you think homeschooling has affected your kids now that they are grown? Interesting. Dan, an excellent opportunity has opened up for me. The bad news is it's 600 miles away and I can't move my family right now. Hmm. Dan, you mentioned experimental ventures that you tried and terminated because they didn't work out. Is that what happened to 212 Connection? Well, I'll talk about that. That was our coaching division. I'll tell you exactly what happened to that. Dan, I want to rent a small space in a local retail store to sell books. My husband thinks I'm crazy. Dan, what are your suggestions for applying for a job? It says in their company policy that they do not take email, phone calls, or mail for their application. Yeah, right. Well, we'll talk about some ways to get into companies that have those kind of screens out there so they don't have to deal with 800 people. But if you're the person for the job, they'll want to see you. We're going to tell you how to do that. Well, as you know, you can leave your question for me. Just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. You can fill out the little form there. You can shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. Check out our upcoming events. We've got our next Right to the Bank event coming up here, a live conference here at the Sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. Those are a blast. I particularly enjoy doing that one. I don't know. It's just because I enjoy writing, I guess, and I enjoy seeing other people who figure out how to take their writing and turn it into a significant income stream. The next one is August 4th and 5th. Now, Ashley, my daughter, tells me that we are pretty close to being sold out on that one. There's another one the next month, September 29th and 30th. So if you can't get into the August one, make sure you grab a spot for the September one. I'd love to meet you, hear what you're doing, what you're writing about in either of those events. And then we have one more Coaching with Excellence workshop this year yet and that one is in between those two right to the bank events that's september 15th and 16th if you want to use coaching as your new income stream and want to know how to leverage that 
You know, we're told that 85% of coaches never make more than $40,000 a year. Well, that is preposterous. If you are a coach and you want to make a living on that, then there's no reason you should have to starve to death in doing it. If you can do it with excellence, we'll talk to you, show you how you can leverage your area of expertise. I mean, if you're a coach, then you obviously have what we call an area of intellectual capital or intellectual expertise. If you're great in working with parents with children who are autistic, or you're great in working with people in health and nutrition plans, getting them in better health, or you like helping people through the inevitable, relentless career transitions that they're going through, or you want to help them create a life plan. I mean, any of those means that you have some area of intellectual expertise. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to know everything. I mean, nobody does that. I mean, I've never made any illusions about me knowing everything. I'm a coach. I ask questions. I have the person explore and come up with their own solutions. So you can do that. But in as much as you have the ability to do that, then we can show you ways to do that in ways other than just working one-on-one with people. So how can you do workshops Seminars, how can you get speaking opportunities? How can you create audio products, do instructional manuals, perhaps write an ebook or a little manifesto or get a, a publishing deal with a, a publisher for your book? I mean, those are all things that are outcroppings of being able to coach well. And in that coaching with excellence, we show you how to do that. Anyway, check those live events. Be happy to talk to you about those as well. Well, here's our quotation for the day. This comes from Helen Keller. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Security does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than exposure. You know, that's Helen Keller. I mean, I'm blown away every time I read that quotation. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. You know, obviously, you know, the message of that quotation is amplified by knowing that Helen Keller was both deaf and blind. She was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree, and she went on to become a respected American author, political activist, and lecturer. So what have you chosen? Are you seeking security? Let me go back to that part of her quotation. Security does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than exposure. So are you seeking security and avoiding danger? Would onlookers, I love this kind of perspective, would onlookers describe your life as a daring adventure? Golly, I love that. I hope people looking at my life would see it as such, a daring adventure. Hey, I want to remind you about my buddy Cliff Ravenscraft's podcast coaching course that's coming up here real quick. Now, if you go to podcastingatoz.com, Go to that domain, podcastingatoz.com. You'll get all the details about this. Now, I've mentioned repeatedly on here that I am not a technical guy. And what I want to do, if I'm going to do a podcast, is find somebody who's the expert in that arena. That is Cliff Ravenscraft. He's the online podcast answer man. And he has a course coming up, online coaching course, beginning Monday, July 11th. So we're right on top of that. If you want to get in this particular one, go to podcastinga2z.com and get the details there. I highly recommend it. I mean, I'm, I'm not one to just flounder through a long learning curve. 
If I'm going to do something, the first thing I do is find a coach for that arena. And I encourage you to do the same. And there's a whole lot of people who are involved in this 48 Days community who have used Cliff's expertise to get them up and running, to have professionally done podcasts so it represents their business, their products, their services well. Podcasting A to Z dot com. Now, this week I was interviewed. I want to respond to some common questions, and they were kind of brought to the forefront again this week because Gerald McCoy, one of our 48days.net members, and he's over at homeschoolnetcast.com, he interviewed me and asked me about our homeschooling experience. He introduced me as a retired homeschool dad. Golly, hearing it phrased like that, I about fell through the floor. I've never had myself referred to as a retired anything. Now, I'm retired homeschool dad in the sense that my children are grown at this point, so we are no longer homeschooling. That is true. In that sense, I'm retired. But boy, that that word just kind of crawls all over me when I hear it applied to me. Retired? Give me a break. Well, anyway, Gerald was asking me questions. Why did we homeschool? Now, the reason I want to insert this here is because it's relevant to how you choose to become more educated and how you choose work that you're going to do. This is not something that should just start when you're 25 years old. It's something that hopefully starts when you're much younger than that. Now, here's why we homeschooled. We were trucking along and our first son, Kevin, went through school in a very traditional manner. Unfortunately, going through in a very traditional manner ruined him for any kind of traditional academic program at all. Now, here's an example of why. Kevin was working in my business at the time I had an auto accessories business. He was working with me in that. When he was 14 years old, I sent him to a window tinting school in Atlanta. He was there for about a week, came back home, And we started that division of my auto accessories business where he handled the window tinting. We made it his own independent business. We had hats and t-shirts made up and came up with his own name. We had a lot of fun with that. And that was his business. Now he got obviously referrals because of all the connections that I had. But as a 14 year old, he started tinting windows on exotic cars, Jags, Mercedes, Volvos, Saabs, even things like Ferraris and Lamborghinis when he was 14 years old and very quickly was making six or $700 a week as a 14-year-old. So it was a great business experience for him. In school, he signed up for a business class. I think he was a, perhaps a junior in high school, signed up for a business class. At the end of the first class, he went up, talked to the instructor, told him how excited he was about business and asked the instructor what kind of business he had. And the instructor I was like, what do you mean? What kind of business do I have? I, I teach here. And, I, and Kevin says, well, I know you teach, but you're teaching business. So, you know, what's your business background? What business do you currently have? Teacher says, I don't have any business. I've never been in business. Kevin was absolutely dumbfounded. I mean, I'll never forget him coming home and talking about that. How can this guy teach me about business? He said, you know, Dad, I can learn more from you in one day in being in business than I can from hearing this guy read a book to us when he's never been in business. He was he was absolutely mortified. And that and a variety of experiences similar to that made him disdain, have such little respect for schooling that he technically left before he got 
his high school diploma. Now, we made arrangements so he could actually get it, but it was at that point that we allowed him to move to Fort Collins, Colorado, and he started training with the Olympic training team for bicycle racing. He had gotten involved in BMX bicycle motocross when he was 10. I traveled all over the country with him, but when he was 17, he was recovering from a, a leg injury that he received in BMX racing, and in the recovery process, discovered that he really enjoyed road racing as well, which is a different kind of racing, but we transitioned into that. He went to the training camp in Fort Collins, Colorado, and never looked back. Went from there to Europe and raced with the Dutch national team for a couple years and came back to the United States and raced for many years as a professional cyclist. So anyway, that was Kevin. Jared came along, my next son. In the sixth grade, we realized Jared was having a whole lot of trouble in school, a whole lot of trouble indicated by the fact that he was acting out. He was being the clown. He was causing trouble every day. We were having problems. And we realized this is never going to work. This kid is going to self-destruct. He's never going to make it in a public school system. We looked at the options and decided to homeschool. It was new territory to both Joanne and me. We decided to homeschool. That was our motivation. It was because we had a child that didn't fit in what the offering for education was. That's it. It's just like not fitting into a job. Not everybody has to fit into the same one. And our child, Jared, did not fit into what the offerings were in public education. So we homeschooled. So we learned as we went along. But we also saw that here was a really inquisitive, creative child. However, he struggled with everything that was expected in school. He struggled with reading. He struggled with mathematics. He struggled in sitting in a chair for hours on end. I mean, all of those things were challenges. We came home one day, and he had covered the entire walls of his bedroom with black paper. He had rolls of black, like a heavy construction paper, and covered the entire walls. Well, our first response was, golly, is this kid you know, entering the gothic arena? He's going to you know, paint his eyebrows black and... We're nothing but black. Well, not really. Now we saw a little bit of that as we went along as well. But in having him tested, we were told that the way he processes light is very different. And the worst possible thing for him is sitting in a room with fluorescent lights. There's a subtle flicker there that makes it very difficult for his brain to process what's coming in through his eyes. And the black paper was his own amateur method of addressing that once we understood that not only did we allow and embrace the black paper on his walls but we also had screens that he would lay on top of pages red and green different kind of screens that would allow him to see the words differently than what we're used to seeing now jared is not a reader today he is a voracious learner but he learns by listening to auditory programs. So he listens to anything audio. If I want him to read a new book, I get the audio version for him. I mean, he has thousands of things loaded onto his his phone where he listens to anything that I want him to listen to and he learns in that way. Now, in the period of time where he was being homeschooled, I mean, how did that impact him today? One of the things I did when Jared was 14 years old was I purchased a 1968 Carmen Ghia, Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. Just a cute little car. Needed a lot of work. 
we did a lot of work. We pulled all the glass out of it. We replaced all the rubber around the glass in the entire car. We put new carpeting in, new dash, had the seats recovered. We pulled the engine. We reworked the engine. We sanded days and days and days on end, sanded on the body till we got it perfect. We painted it ourselves, a Porsche Guards red color. That was his car. Now, was that just, you know, spending a lot of time on a hobby? No, that was part of his schooling. Every minute spent on that counted toward his schooling hours required. Now, we were under a homeschooling umbrella, so we didn't just walk away totally. We were under a homeschooling umbrella so that he would really get credits required for him to graduate from high school. So he had body work, mechanics, electrical, internal combustion, carburation. He learned about all those things, but he learned about how to take something simple and make it something beautiful, how to make something work when somebody else may say, it's impossible. How have those things impacted him today? Today he lives in Mombasa, Kenya. He and Ilea, his wife, our beautiful daughter-in-law, live on right on the Indian Ocean. They walk out their front door of their condo and they are on the beach. That's where they live. But they work with people there, disadvantaged people, people who are struggling, and take those people and show them simple micro enterprises where they can make beautiful jewelry, pottery, clothing. Then they bring those items back to the United States and have these high fashion shows to sell those, which creates revenue that pays those women well. And in doing so, I mean, the money all goes directly back to them. But now do you think that maybe he learned some of the principles for how to do those things as he was being homeschooled? Absolutely. I mean, all we did was create a personalized opportunity for a child to learn when he did not fit in well in the larger society provision for learning. So when, when someone, I mean, this should not be new territory. When somebody realizes, golly, I know I got this job at, at General Motors or at Toyota, and I know it pays well, but I'm bored out of my mind. I don't fit here. There ought to be an acknowledgement Okay, you don't fit there. Let's find somewhere where you do fit. I mean, my whole philosophy is you don't have to force yourself to fit in to something when you know it doesn't fit. Let's figure out what is unique about you and then find work that embraces what we know about you. That's exactly what we try to do with our children. Now, Ashley was in there as well. Ashley, our daughter, we have three children. Ashley was homeschooled all the years from the sixth, when Jared was in the sixth grade to the twelfth grade. When he graduated, she didn't enjoy being just the only child being homeschooled, and we enrolled her in Christ Presbyterian Academy here locally in Franklin, Tennessee. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience for her, and she spent the last two years then at that academy and graduated from there and then went on to... Uh, went on to Berry College and on to University of Tennessee to get two degrees that she has. Now, the other thing that Gerald asked me is, where do I think homeschooling is headed in the next three to five years? Well, I think it is going to explode because of exactly what I've described. Because these cookie-cutter plans for education don't work for a whole lot of students. They don't work for a whole lot of adults. I mean, when we see 
what's happening. We see the angst of students coming out, and then when they go into college, still not able to figure out this whole thing, and they come out of college with $120,000 in student loan debt and can't get a job because they have no marketable skills. I mean, why do we call that education? It may be something else, but it's not likely to fall under the category of education. Education takes place in many ways. You know, we've been sold a myth that education occurs only when a child's sitting on her butt in a classroom. You know, thankfully, homeschooling and a whole lot of other things have broken that myth. Well, let me move on. I want to move into the questions we've got here, but I feel like that was such a common question. And people ask us so often about that. Again, homeschooling is not something that we, you know, that was on our radar when our children was born. It was something that we explored because as a need arose and we saw that there was a mismatch, then we addressed that with our the, the individualized needs of our child. Nathan from Fort Wayne says, Dan, your 48days.net group is great. I asked for help in developing some materials for my web design business, and in a couple hours, I received scads of offers. How do I sort through and find a good coach or contractor? Should I rely on a disc profile? What's a good technique for finding or hiring the right person? Nathan, I'm delighted you got that response. That's not unusual at all. People who put out questions or concerns or opportunities in 48days.net are going to get a whole lot of response from that tightly knit community. I would just encourage you to interview three or four. Just ask to see their work. Ask for four or five names of recent clients they've worked with. Just go through it like that. I don't think you're really going to get much by looking at a DISC profile. A DISC profile, you know, the DISC, Dominance, Influencing, Steadiness, Compliance. I mean, that tells us a lot about where a person ought to be working. But if they're already offering their skills in web design, just ask to see their work. That's all I care about. I don't care about seeing somebody's IQ, their GPA, the degrees they have. Show me your work. I mean, we have a lot of work done through 48 days and for people who do web design and who do graphic design, book covers, all those kind of things, copy layout. I don't ever, ever ask somebody about their past credentials, where they went to school. I just want to see their work. That's what tells me, that's the shortest method to tell me, is this somebody I want to work with? And when it comes to web design, you want somebody that has some proven examples out there and they can show you what they've done. You also want somebody that really understands what you're all about, what your business is all about. When we've had web designers over the years, it's, it's very easy for people to say, well, golly, for you know, $30,000, we'll come in, we'll just revamp everything and make it something really great and flashy. I'm like, you didn't even ask me what kind of business I'm in, what we're doing now, who our audience is, give me a break. You got to take you know, a little time to understand and that's why it's exactly why we have the the young lady that we do doing our web design now. Missy Stoffer, she's on the 48 Days Advisory Board. You can find her there. She did an amazing job. She took enough time to really understand our business, what we were doing, displayed that and coming back to us and saying, I think this would work well for you. And we saw her work. It's amazing. It's been a wonderful relationship. She's done headed up all of our web work now for a couple years. Michael says, I just sold our TV for $200 and I'm putting the money into a new book fund. (laughs) 
I guess, I guess, Michael, you've heard me talk about my feelings about TV. You know, we had we had a family member. I won't go into details, but an extended family member who needed to come to Nashville to have surgery done this last week. So she was with us for an entire week. Now, the surgery procedure was a two-hour procedure on Monday morning. From Monday through Sunday, she sat in front of our TV watching the Casey Anthony trial. I could not believe, I felt like the air was being sucked out of our room. I mean, our whole house, to have that kind of negativity. I mean, how could, I, I don't understand how any person could be that interested to waste hour after hour after hour. I mean, if you're interested in that, I mean, check the news in the morning. Five seconds, you can have the update. Yes, I know she was acquitted. That's another story. But we have just gone through an experience where I wished we didn't even have a TV in our house. Now, it's there because Joanne and I use it very selectively. And once in a while, we'll pop a movie in. But uh, you know, we just went through, again, the reminder of why I am not a fan of TV. Well, anyway, I congratulate you on having the fun from selling your TV to buy books. I am totally 100% confident that you're going to get a great return on that investment as compared to having it tied up in a boob tube. Troy says, from Frankfurt says, an excellent opportunity has opened up for me. Now, this is interesting. The bad news is it's 600 miles away. With the commitments we have in our current community, our whole family cannot move until next summer. One option is I move now and the family comes next year. How should I measure this opportunity against being distant from my wife and children? Well, here's my take on that, Troy. A job should never be the primary issue in deciding where you live. That being said, if you love where you're living now, then no job should be able to lure you away. And conversely, if you wouldn't love living where the new opportunity is, then I would suggest you make plans to get your whole family there within a 30-day period. Now, you say your whole family cannot move until next summer with commitments you have in your current community. I'm not sure what all that is. But I mean, I think that's going to be then a big part of making this decision. If you have commitments where your whole family cannot move until next summer, there is no way in the world I would support the idea of you being gone for a year because of a job. I mean, what about the lives of your children in that period of time? I don't care if they're two and three or if they're 14 and 15 or what ages they happen to be. I cannot see any scenario under which I would be excited about the idea of dad being gone for a year because of a job opportunity. Having a job that you love, as much as I talk about the importance of that, that is simply one tool for a successful life. It is not the only criteria by which you measure your current success. We have to also look at things you're doing physically, socially, family, personal development, spiritually, financially. I mean, those are all areas equal in importance to the work that you're doing. So no, there's got to be a better solution. The solution of you leaving and being gone for a year before your family can catch up with you because of a great job opportunity, red flags all over it. 
don't do that. But find a solution. Find a solution. You know, maybe those commitments that the family has, maybe they didn't like a break. Maybe those really aren't commitments that you can't rearrange or delegate to somebody else in some way. Maybe you could take this position and telecommute where you do the work where you are now. I mean, unless this is physical labor where you're going to be putting apples into bushel baskets, chances are you could do the work where you are now. Could you do that for an agreed upon period of time before you moved there geographically, if at all? Well, Ian in Pennsylvania says, Dan, someone once said that when making a big decision, one should consult wiser people for their opinion and be persistent in gaining it. I have a big choice to make and I value your opinion over anyone else. So please forgive my 60 word workaround and read on. (laughs) Now, this is hilarious. I laughed when I saw this and uh, Ian, I, I totally admire your creativity in what you did. I almost hate to tell what you did because I don't want to duplicate it 50 times a week, but I love what you did. And, and frankly, I was not aware that it was possible. Now, what I'm referring to is if you go to the podcast link on 48days.com and want to ask a question, it limits you to 60 words. Now, a lot of people think that's short. What Ian has done has written a lengthy paragraph that is probably 400 words, and every single word is connected to the next by a hyphen. (laughs) So it, it tricks the computer into thinking that there are only about three words when actually there's a whole lot of them. They just simply, each word is connected. So he says, I hyphen M hyphen currently hyphen employed hyphen. Well, I won't go through the hyphens, but here's what his question is. But again, I love the creativity of, of a workaround for our limiting system there. Incidentally, I'm getting, I am going to have Ashley change it. I talked to her as a result of your question, Ian, because I said, you know, really, a lot of people are obviously cutting their questions very short. And I said, 60 words is really short. I said, let's change that. If we have the ability to change that, make it 150 or something, you know, two or three times as much, that's still fine. Because I recognize that sometimes people are really uh, squeezed trying to convey their question in that short, limited number of words. So we're going to increase that. Here's Ian's question. I am currently employed as a cabinet maker and cut lister for a small cabinet shot. I've been told I will not make any more money here, so I started looking around and have have had two interviews at two different companies. One is a large cabinet shop where I would be a cut list engineer, a job I think I'd like, but it might lead to another dead-end career down the road. The other job is for a software engineering firm in Boston. I live in PA, Pennsylvania, but the company owner is willing to let me try working from home on a six-month probationary period. He's made it clear, though, that I could be out of a job if the telecommuting doesn't work out. Career-wise, it seems like the switch to software engineering could open up many more doors down the road in an area that I'm interested in learning more about. But is it worth the risk? I'm married with three children, so the thought of completely changing careers with the possibility of being jobless in six months scares me. I'm halfway through 48 Days to the Work You Love, And I'm currently trying to reclaim my dream. I see a move of some kind as a needed next step toward bridging the gap between my dream job and my day job. But what's the right move to make? 
Well, Ian, it sounds like the software engineering position is a great move for you. My first question would be, have you explored similar positions with companies there in Pennsylvania? Now, you said you've had two interviews, but have you really done a thorough job search? 30 to 40 companies that have been contacted, or just did these two just kind of happen to pop up on your radar? And a lot of times I hear people debating about a new job. It's not really perfect. It's just okay. And I ask them about their job search, and they didn't do any. It's just that something happened to come along, and that's the one they're debating. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, don't do that. Just do a job search. If one company offered you a job, there may be four others right in your own backyard that would. So I'd want to make sure that you have done a thorough job search, not just responding to one opportunity that popped up. If this is indeed a unique opportunity, then I would take it. The one where you can work six months telecommuting to see if it works out. I would take it. I'd begin with gusto. Confident that at the end of the six months, they're going to love you. Now, if you think about it, you are in a six-month trial period with any job that you take. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. You really are in a three- to six-month trial period. They may not verbalize it as clearly as this company has. You may not have the same kind of scenario that this does, but you really are in a trial run. So that part isn't really any different. I mean, you can take a job where you think you're going to be there for the next 10 years of your life or 20 years. But if they don't like you after six months, guess what? You're gone. Now, most states are at will employment, meaning just that. If you walk in tomorrow morning, decide you don't want to be there, you can leave. If you walk in tomorrow morning and they decide they don't like guys with red shirts on, they can tell you to pack up your desk and leave. So you're, you're always on trial anyway. That part is not really different. If you know this is a good fit for you, you know you can do excellent work, you know you're going to impress them, absolutely. Just take it. Be confident that those are going to be the results that you get. Mark has a couple questions. You mentioned Justin Lucas Savage helping you remove background noise from your podcast. On your latest podcast... There was a cell phone vibrating in the background, or was I hearing things? Well, a couple things in that regard, Mark. It would not have been Justin Lucas Savage. It would have been Cliff Ravenscraft, who helped me remove background noise from my podcast. Cliff has done that. Last week, the podcast that you're referring to was the very first one where I have two new pieces of equipment. One of those cancels out any background noise of any kind. It's a compressor. The other one is you know, it's some kind of a hybrid thing so I can intercept my phone line and have live phone calls going through a mixer and a recorder so it gets a higher quality. But last week, and it's funny that you mentioned this because Cliff himself said that he's said for a long time that my podcast is like a nine on a scale of ten. But he wanted to just refine it a little bit. He said last week's was a 10. So I'm not sure what you were hearing. I didn't, I don't believe we heard from anybody else that they were hearing something. So I'm not sure what it was you were hearing. It, it certainly was not a cell phone vibrating. That would not have been the case. 
Another question from Mark. You mentioned experimental ventures that you tried and terminated because they didn't work out. Is this what happened to 212 Connection? No, that's different. Certainly there have been ventures that I have tried and terminated because they didn't work out. Um, We don't have time here to list them. I do that. I do that really willingly. I start a lot of things where we try it. Now, because of my business model, we have seven distinct areas of revenue generation. Because of that, if something doesn't work like I think it ought to, we just pull the plug on it. We kill it. It's gone and we can put something else in. In that model, you can understand that doesn't deep six our whole business. It's just one component. So there are a lot of things that we try. Our, our business is always, uh, always has a lot of moving parts and things that are on the bubble for maybe being eliminated. That is not what happened to 212 Connection. 212 Connection was our coaching a division where people who wanted to be coaches would come into that. Now, this was a few years back, if you remember in 212, and incidentally, I still love the concept of 212, 212 meaning degrees of water. At 211 degrees, water is just hot water. At 212, it turns to steam. You can move mountains. You can run locomotives down a track. The, the power explodes with that one degree. And that was the whole concept. What are you doing that will give you that one degree edge that provides a tipping point to really put you over the hump? 212 was a division that was run by my oldest son, Kevin. We grew that. Had a lot of members in there. We were doing things. We realized we were attracting a lot of people who had businesses other than coaching. They just wanted the business development help. So we had people who had glass business and cabinet making and landscaping and, golly, I can't remember. I mean, lots of pet services, lots of different businesses coming in. And and Kevin, my son, really encouraged that. I mean, he wants to work with a lot of different business kind of concepts. But also with some of the ways that he wanted to grow that, they were things that would have required more time from me. And I really was pretty resistant to that. Some of the things that we looked at that would have provided expansion and legitimately so, I mean, legitimate business growth, more profitability. But my question was, okay, Kevin, how long is it going to be before I can get back to the life I have today? I'm pretty spoiled in the kind of life that I have today. And when things come along, opportunities, which do every week, that would fit, would make sense on paper, all the way down the pike, but there are things that would move me out of the life that I have today. I mean, here's an example. I bought a car on eBay a couple days ago. I told the guy, well, I'll just fly down the next day. I think I bought it on Thursday. I said, I'll fly down on Friday, pick it up and drive it back. I told Joanne, I said, hey, I'm going to, you know, buzz down, take a flight down to Florida, pick up this car and drive it back. She says, wait a minute, where are you going? I said, West Palm Beach, Florida. She says, I want to go with you. I want a few days at the beach. I said, are you serious? She says, yeah. I said, okay, we'll do that. I called the guy back. I said, wow, I'm not going to come down on Friday. We've got plans for the weekend, but we'll come down on Wednesday and pick up the car. He said, that's cool. No problem here. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to fly down there, pick the car up. We've made arrangements for a place to stay indefinitely. 
I'm not sure when we're coming back. It's kind of hard to do that if I have a lot of obligations outside of the ones I currently have. That's what happened to 212. It got to a point where there were so many demands, the way that was growing. Kevin and I talked about it. I said, this needs to be your business. We need to break this off, which is exactly what we did. Now, in breaking that off, it was required that we change the name because that was under my corporation and there was no reasonable way to just peel it off and have it be his business. So we relaunched it as Free Agent Academy, which he runs today. You can find that through anything we're doing on the net. Kevin Miller, my son, runs Free Agent Academy. That's his business. Totally. I'm thrilled for him. The membership that he has, the coaching that they're doing with a wide variety of businesses, the live events that he has right out there at the base of Pikes Peak where they live. I mean, it's totally cool. Uh, We were just out there. Joanna and I were just out there to celebrate my grandson, Kevin's son, 16th birthday. And of course, I helped him buy a Jeep Cherokee the next day since I'm a car guy and love that activity. But uh, that's why we don't have 212 in our business. We, at that point, refocused on coaching. That's why we have the Coaching with Excellence. We have a lot of coaches that are represented on our 48days.net. I want our business to focus a lot on coaches in terms of the people that we work with developing. That's why that went away. Uh, It was not something that that failed and we pulled a plug on, although there are a lot of those things out there, trust me. A couple more here real quick. Rose says, I'm an SI personality. Encourager, I want to rent a small space in a local retail store to sell books, CDs, and gifts. My mission, help women learn about business and finance. My current J-O-B provides one half of family income, 401k, four weeks vacation. My husband thinks I'm crazy. I've written a business plan. How do I estimate income potential? All right, Rose, I'm, this is one of those, and I'm going to have to give you a real quick surface answer on that. You've got a job that provides half of your family income, a 401k, four weeks vacation, and you want to rent a small space in a local retail store to sell books, CDs, and so on to help women learn about business and finance. What this sounds like is a real niche kind of business, but as soon as you open a retail store, a physical space, you're going to have about a five-mile radius of prospects. That's way too small for a tiny niche in the book selling gifts and CDs business. You've got way too much fixed overhead, hard cost of doing business for something that has that narrow of a focus. What I would encourage you to do is to do this online. Start online selling these kind of things to women to help them with their finances. A couple things have happened. One is you totally eliminate the rent, the signs, the employees, all those things that are going to be fixed cost of opening a retail space. Number two, you totally open up to the entire world, theoretically, your audience. So instead of having that five-mile radius of prospects, you now have the entire world, and you can be very niched in the products that you're offering and still do that really well. Number three You don't have to jeopardize your current job at all. Do this in discretionary hours. We have 168 hours in a week. If you work 40, work 40. 
do it well. Carve out eight or 10 hours in the week outside of those working hours where you can do exactly what you're talking about. Very legitimate setup. Then when you see that you have some success, you can then decide whether or not you want to quit your current J-O-B. Now I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. You get online and discover the power of connecting with people, discover the power of being open 168 hours a week for business rather than 40 or 50 that are going to tie you down. You'll never look back. You'll never think about having a retail space. And it's going to make your husband happy and you happy because you've discovered a better way to do business. Well, hey, one more real quick here, and I'll wrap up with this. Clarence says, Dan, what are your suggestions and thoughts for applying for a job that says in the company policy that they do not take email, phone calls, or mail for their application? The only options are applying on their website. Now, the company is Boeing. You know, I I know you suggest to pick 30 to 40 companies, but Boeing is on the wish list of the many companies. Thanks. That's why you have 30 to 40. There are certain things in any given company that we can't control. You can't change that. You have to have enough other options that you say, some will, some won't, so what next? And that's what you're going to have to do here. Now, at the same time, a company that says they don't take email, phone calls, or or mail for their application, they're blowing smoke. You can walk in the front door, talk to somebody, they see that you're a great candidate, talk to them and get a position where you've ignored, violated everything they've laid out as screening methods. Companies lay out those things as screening methods just so they don't have to weed through 800 applications. And they want to have consistent policies because they have to show what they did to hire so that there was no discrimination involved, all those goofy things. Companies have to, hoops they have to jump through at this point. Yeah, they so they do those things, but those things are ignored every day when a good candidate shows up. Do whatever you have. This is a time to be creative. I mean, you can be in the parking lot when the CEO or the division manager that you know is going to make the hiring decision shows up talk to them there. I've had a lot of people do that. People that have sent a resume when it says don't send anything and they send a resume wrapped around an ear of corn with a note that says, hey, I know this is corny, but please give me your ear. You know, oh, shucks, I thought maybe I could talk to you this way. Whatever. I mean, be creative. If you follow all the rules with companies hiring these days, you're going to be convinced nobody's hiring. The economy is bad. We're in a recession. You don't want to do that. Well, hey, as you know, by the music coming up, we're at the tail end. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days family. Thanks for being somebody who is creative, ingenious, innovative, all those things that lead to an extraordinary life. So people can look in and say, wow, that is an adventure, a daring adventure you're living, just like Helen Keller said at the beginning of the hour here. Keep working toward finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. I know you can do it. Lots of others have. Have a great week.